Previously on Funny Science Fiction. Hey boy, what do you mean you can't understand me? I I I I I talk fine. Yes, I do do do. Yes, I do do do. You don't understand me. Amber Hollinger, and you're listening to Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast that makes you wish the Terminator could come back in time to kill the internet, not Sarah Connor. Now, our guest today is a Peabody winner. She's an Emmy and an Annie-nominated director and storyboard artist for film and television shows. And she's also the host of one of the coolest podcasts that I've come around lately. It's called Film Fight. So I'm very happy to welcome to the show today, Amber Hollinger. Welcome, Amber. Oh, thank you, Tim and Kathleen and Schmoopy Schmoopy for podcast yeah, love. Um, <laughs> having so much fun. Well, podcasters have to stick together. Absolutely. You know, I, honestly, I've really been enjoying your uh, your your latest couple episodes of Film Fight. In particular, the last one, uh, I was listening to it yesterday. Uh, is one of the last episodes as I was getting ready for this about the the episode about Armageddon versus Deep Impact, and. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I laughed quite a bit. It, you guys seem to be having a really good time on the show. Um, and it's amazing to me, not just because uh, Deep Impact does suck, um, but it's also was funny to me because I have yet to stay awake for a single playing of Armageddon. I have seriously fallen asleep in that movie three separate times. I cannot stay awake to it. It's honestly, it's sleepy time tea for Timmy every single time. Have you uh, seen in its entirety in different pockets have you seen the whole thing or no no honestly i've never finished it because <laughs> i've got every time i'm like oh I, i've made it farther you know, like, each time you'll before turn on i fall the TV asleep. and you'll hit the end you know right. you turn on the tv you'll hit the end of the movie that you've seen or tried to see before and you're like oh that's what happened oh so you miss like the heart-wrenching stuff Probably. that made us cry yeah. Yeah. I uh, honestly, every time I've seen it come on TV, I'm like, oh, that's the one I fall asleep to. Click. Nap time. Um, <laughs> but I, I brought all that up because I thought it was a really interesting discussion that you guys had on the differences between the two movies and, and everything else. And it made me wonder how you guys came up with the concept for Film Fight and the premise behind the show. And I was hoping that maybe you could share that with our audience because maybe they're not familiar with your show and I want them to know how awesome it is and why they should be listening to Film Fight. Oh, that's so cool. It's it's fairly new. I think we only have seven, eight episodes. We have, I think, four or five more in the can that I still have to edit down. But initially, it didn't even start off as a film podcast. My friend Zach had started showing me these weird bot scripts. And we got into this like intellectual conversation about bot scripts and are they real and are they not real? And is a bot script any better than, than a human written script? How cool would that be? It's such a good conversation. How cool would that be if we took a bot script and then paired it up with a real script to see what the differences were? So it started out as like a kind of a script comparison podcast or idea like at its genesis and then it kind of moved into just like a maybe it would be script fight and take out bot scripts altogether and just take these two scripts from a screenwriting point of view before you ever get to filming what can you do on the page to help your story or hinder your story because you know as a as a story artist but now as a director in particular 
you have to know story front and back, structurally, screenwriting-wise, format-wise, because if there's something wrong with the scripts, my job to fix it somehow in the final mm -hmm. version, whatever I'm executing on screen. So, but everything starts on the page and story is king. It is, that informs every decision that you make. And especially as a director, you have nothing but choices and this helps point you in the direction of the choices that you would like to make. And I could talk about it forever and ever. So I'm like, yay. And I know just total dumb dumb. I know nothing about podcasting. So it was just learning as, I went, eventually the script fight idea turned into movie fight because we thought it might reach a larger audience because everybody goes and sees these movies and probably has similar discussions at home of like, oh, this movie didn't work. This movie sucked. And this movie was so much better. Why? And I thought that was really interesting. So I liked the idea of putting it into, um, I love to box. So I liked putting them in a ring and creating like a match format for them. I thought that'd be kind of kitschy and cool and something everybody could get into. Everybody has your opinion. There's no right or wrong opinion. It's all subjective. So super fun. Yeah. I, I love the fact that I, and I can't remember which guy is doing it, but uh, anytime somebody has notes on a show, he, he has a little intro song for it <laughs> and it just kind of cracked me up. He's like, you know, so, you know, like a piano and, you know, hey, so somebody's notes, somebody's funny. notes, you know. Yeah, it, that amused so me greatly. You'll see since we're, it's such a fledgling process and the four of us, you'll see is we're, we're good friends off the air and you'll see our personality more and more as we're getting comfortable figuring out and talking about mm -hmm. these things. The next uh, record Steve has, it's uh, Steve Walter who does the Steve notes and Jim's Metacritic review song and the film fight, the film fight. Um, <laughs> right. He has a new song, this next one. And we might have like um, Zach's uh, segment for Zach's douche meter, whether he would hang out with the director or not. <laughs> uh, sounds fantastic. Uh, I love it. I honestly, I have, I have very much enjoyed it and I look forward to future episodes. It's a, it's a good listen. Oh, thanks so much. I've enjoyed listening to a couple of your guys' uh, podcasts. You guys were not on my radar until as of late. And you're so fun. Oh, yeah. thank you. We try. I'm definitely Every adding Film Fight to my, my list. <laughs> so, Amber, I was not as familiar with who you were until we booked the interview. But I'm very excited to get to know you. Very excited to get to talk to you today. But my first thing that I was thinking about when we were preparing for the episode was that we often think of art and animation and depending on when a person was primarily entertained by the cartoons will determine what style they picture and the technology behind that. So those who are 90s kids like me have that, that vision of 90s cartoons. Other people have other visions of animation. So how much has the changing technology affected your role in the art and storyboarding from when you worked on Timon and Pumbaa and Hey Arnold, now through working on Onyx Equinox and Housebroken? Uh, technology as far as process have changed, but storytelling and the role that I play in bringing a project to fruition is very much the same because my job is shot selection, pacing, scene transition, camera work, acting, staging, all that stuff, completely the same. So I actually, most of my influence come from 
live action. I like to take things that I'm seeing done in film and live action and try to translate and put my spin on it in an animated space. There's no like, I love, I love all kinds of styles and there's, um, there's a different process for thinking about making a CGI film versus a 2D animation, but it always starts kind of like the story always starts on the page. The actual cartoon always starts in a storyboard program where, where it's either a program or drawings pinned up on a wall and it's still, what are our beats of the story? What's the purpose behind the scene? What do we want our audience to feel? And how is the best way to communicate that? That's really cool. It's really cool. I, I, because I'm not into, I'm not in animation. I can barely draw a straight line, but I never thought about using live action as your influence for animation. But that makes a, a lot of sense. I, since, since you're trying to make your animation look real, is that I'm talking in circles. It, well, it it's more, it's more about, it's more about delivering a feeling to you. And my job as a director is to make sure that you're feeling what I want you to feel. And if I do my job correctly, you're going, I'm going to be able to manipulate you into that. So when people think of an animation director, they really think about us just animating and directors in animation do the same job as directors in live action, except we also have to be able to draw everything out. So like a live action director will be on set with a camera. I am the camera. So anything that I see, I basically just have to draw down for other people as a blueprint of this is what I see. This is my vision. You're going to follow my blueprint because I'm going to give you shot, shot, shot. So kind of the same, same principles. Yeah. That's really cool that I, I never knew that. I mean, I, I guess I always had the. Nobody knows what I do. Like my parents. <laughs> Still don't know what I do. Like seriously, <laughs> everybody, like nobody knows what people do in animation. When I did storyboards, nobody knew what that was and what I did. It's the same thing. <laughs> but I'm sure they still support you. <laughs> Absolutely. They love it. They're like, she works for Disney. She <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom does the she does podcasts. Okay. <laughs> What do they talk about? Uh, my mom on the podcast. Stop. She's always, you know, parents have opinions. It's so funny. <laughs> she doesn't like it when I curse on the podcast. Oh, of course not. No. I get that. <laughs> Moms are like that. They're like that. So actually, your answer for that actually is a perfect segue into my next question for you. Um, now, growing up, I was always told that the, the only stupid question is the one you don't ask. But... Uh, Based on your last answer, this may not apply to this question. So um, now on IMDb, I see that you have listed as credits in both the art department credits and animation department credits. So for um, those of us who may not be um, artistically smart or understand what the difference is, could you break it down like we're five-year-olds and with crayons and, and the whole nine yards? And what is the difference between the two and and, and how do they affect the shows as you, you work know, on this would be something that I would also like to know because I am D has has a weird way of classification that is not intuitive to me. So sometimes a, a company will input that information into the system. Sometimes you as the creative are responsible for getting your credits in there so people can see what you've done. But I don't know why it will filter 
some of my positions into one category versus a different category. I wish I had a better answer, but if anybody out there knows, <laughs> hit us up, send us an email, because I'd love to know IMDB people. Give us a holla. Yeah, I was curious about that. I was looking at him. Like, yeah. No, it's fine. No, I, yeah, I think it's actually, like, I think it's kind of nice to know that you don't know the difference. It's not just us. <laughs> yeah, because I sit there looking well, at I it like. I think in general, I think it's hard for them to, and maybe this is subjective, this is maybe just an opinion. I think it's hard for them to categorize what we do in animation versus live action. So perhaps many of the people structuring that template at IMDb are more familiar with live action. So when you think of an art department on a feature on a live action film, it's props and sets and things happening in the back of costuming and wardrobing, mm -hmm. things like that, maybe even set location. How do you define that in animation? We have our own vocabulary for that, but maybe they don't have it translated on IMDb. That's my best guess is they don't know Actually, how to put something in the art department for animation because it's all art. Right. That actually makes a lot of sense, though. We're yeah, gonna go with that being a real answer. We're just gonna we're Listen, gonna I'm not a real answer until somebody you believes it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Amber, your work has been an important part of so many people's childhoods, especially with the Disney and the Nickelodeon work. I am going to 100% admit, my husband still cries a little bit every time he watches the Tigger movie. Anything Pooh Bear related, there, is, there are tears in this house every time. So in your case, what so were some bad. of the shows? <laughs> He's a softie. He's a big old softie. Like the Christopher Robin movie came out Aww. when I was pregnant with our daughter and openly sobbing in the movie theater. Like both That movie was brutal. I mean, that was that hard movie to watch. is brutal. It's so sweet, though. I love it so much. Although after the memes of watching, you know, the memes that came out with with you and McGregor sitting there and, you know, Pooh Bear walking up with, you know, as Grievous with the. I know. I know. I love oh. the. Yeah, well, that was, the, a, the nice, that was a nice cycle of memes. I did enjoy that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, Amber, in your case, what were some of the things that some of the shows that shaped your young mind? And have you been able to pay homage to any of them in your work that people may or may not have noticed? Uh, yes. So one, I absolutely loved and still do Scooby-Doo. It's like one of the OG fun. It's so it's it's simplistic in its in its original state of airing. But I've enjoyed all the iterations of Scooby aside from Scrappy Doo, all the iterations of Scooby Doo. <laughs> Scrappy Doo is just years. It's just awful. It was a mistake. But, you know, mistakes are made. It's fine. You can correct that going forward. Um, they did a riff on it in one of the live action movies, you know, playing into hanging a lantern on to how much people hated mm -hmm. Scrappy-Doo, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But I got to, I'd always wanted to work on Scooby. I did get to do one Scooby movie, the Scooby Lego version, Scooby's Beach Bash. Totally loved that. And... I got to work on Mike Tyson Mysteries, which is basically a Scooby ripoff using Mike Tyson and mm -hmm. and some, you know, characters and they're a pigeon instead of Scooby-Doo. It's just like a great blasphemous weird show, but it takes all that love of Scooby-Doo and then and then feeds it through a funnel of adult entertainment through that lens and mm -hmm. I just really loved it because talk about live action influencing me 
that is a more cinematic real space kind of show. So I could take shots from like Breaking Bad and infuse them into Mike Tyson mysteries. And it doesn't seem like those two things might go together, but some really nice filmmaking going on in Mike Tyson mysteries. Yeah. Uh, Robotech, when I was growing up, just mm -hmm. totally geeked out. It was my first anime property that I was exposed to and it absolutely hooked into Japanese storytelling from that moment. So it, um, I've worked on a few anime projects in the last five years or so, and I love being part of that. You know, you're not, in, unless you went to Japan and kind of learned that craft, it's always our American interpretation of that, that at least that sure. I'm trying to put out there. But those, those qualities and properties, I think are something that American audiences are really, really starting to connect to more and more, even though globally anime is the most successful form of animation in the world. Um, there's so many things that I think can infuse and make our entertainment so much better. So I'm trying to sneak that stuff in there. So that's absolutely influenced me. And then Disney's The Little Mermaid is really what made my, like it just blew my socks off. And I knew that my love of filmmaking and my ability to draw should be executed and, and played out in a career in this world somehow. So that's really, yeah. that was the catalyst for me. So that's gotta be so cool going from being that little girl watching The Little Mermaid to then getting to work at Disney. Like that's, Disney makes dreams come true for real. Like that's, that's amazing. Cue the fairy dust now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool, though. Uh, you know, I, 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 one of the things I, I like, I like when we talk to people about, you know, what they, their influences are and things is when you see those influences and how they've, it's tracked them through their life and what they've done and how they've moved forward uh, and doing that. So it's cool to know that, you know, that as you were growing up, these were the things that were influencing you. And, and now that they're still influencing you, but you're doing it as part of that community and you're, you're, you know, you're a part of that world. <laughs> See what well I did played. There. Good job. Well I did played. There. I like it. Ten rallies. It took me a while, but I got it in there. Right. <laughs> Save it up. You're working in there. I love it. Well, I think, and I think it's, a good filmmaker has constant sources to pull from and is getting inspiration all the time. Right. Sure. Every experience going, you know, visiting a different city or a different country or reading a book, everything is going to start to trickle, trickle in somehow after it's kind of swirled around in your head and sat there for a minute. It's going to come out somewhere creatively, which is why I like to read and why I like to go new places and do new things. It somehow always pays back into something that I output creatively. That's really cool. All right. I like that. All right, so was it about uh, was it about two months ago? We had uh, a fellow by the name of Josh Pruitt on the show. Was it? Josh? Yeah, I we don't had remember Josh. when that was. It was about two, maybe, maybe uh, two and a half months. I remember I was sitting in my mom's closet for that. Yes, episode. you were. <laughs> yes, you oh, were. Oh man, well I am not going to compare to Josh. He's so wicked smart, wicked talent, wicked funny. Uh, oh, that was how do I follow him interview. up? Uh, well, you, you already are. You're doing great. Uh, so we, we really enjoyed having him on. And one of the things that he talked about was a show that both of you worked on, which was Onyx Equinox. Um, and one of the things that Josh said about the show 
And one of the things I noticed about the show is that it's more of an adult take on an anime style. It's not true anime, but it's it's an anime style. Um, but one of the things he appreciated about it most was the fact that, you know, because like you, he's worked on a lot of, of kid shows and, and kid friendly shows to work on something that was a little more you know, adult in nature. He, he liked the change of pace. He liked the change of of platform and working in that platform. Now, for you in working on, on that show, did you have a, a similar feeling or what was your experience in working with Onyx Equinox? Well, I loved, um, first of all, the authenticity of where it came from. Uh, Sophia Alexander is a tremendously talented young woman who came up with this series and pitched it and sold it and then ran it and executed it in a way that that showed uh, composure and thoughtfulness beyond her years. So it had, um, and it was really, really true to her background. So I was just um, really impressed with that in general. But anime at its at its normal level is adult. Uh, Japanese culture doesn't doesn't really play kid adult. It kind of always plays one level, which is just telling stories and True. and adult themes are usually intertwined just because that's that's life. So um I personally love going from one kind of audience target, I guess, your demographic. I like switching that around. I've worked on several primetime properties. I like um getting to play into those sensibilities as a storyteller. So absolutely, I loved that. There's something about, you know, being able to impale a character and annihilate them and kill them and feel sorrow that you lost them or feel shock or horror, which you obviously can't do in, you know, like a Little Mermaid. <laughs> it can't happen in Blue's Clues, but... No. No, yeah, and, and that's, for me, that was one of the things, I, I, watching a few episodes of that show, um... I was now I don't watch a ton of anime. My daughter's a huge and I mean massive anime fan. Mm -hmm. Like we yeah. just last weekend we bought so much manga for her, it's not even funny. because uh, she had to have the, these particular books of the 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 one this one anime that she really likes. What which happens you? which happens to be about volleyball players. It's the <gasps> weirdest it's the weirdest show I've ever seen in my life. And they're all super cool, right? Sure. Kind of. I don't remember the name of it, but <laughs> I just know that she watches it, she loves it, and so I'm supporting it. Um, you're a good dad. Yeah. Well, you know, I should say, uh, as long as we're talking about Josh, is that Josh and I are currently working together right now. Oh, Ooh. really? We are on the same show. He's writing for Hamster and Gretel, which I am directing. That's right. Yeah. I'm so excited about Hamster and Gretel. Yeah, we've we've had an opportunity to talk with Dan uh, Pavenmeyer as well uh, on yeah. the show here, and, and Dan talked about that show. That was coming my very up. first podcast episode. That was um, that that was that was her rookie episode. Great. It was. It was amazing. Yeah, he's a juggernaut. Like he's. I don't even know if you could call it like. What do you call him? He's like an octa threat because he's just not one thing. It's so. Mm -hmm. um, it's so intimidating and. And annoying at the same time to have somebody <laughs> that you know because sometimes it's just that creative all the time artists are so insecure anyway and as a general species that we are but there are moments where where you do something and all of a sudden you're you're really proud of it and you start to feel yourself a little bit like okay, i'm 
yeah, yeah, I might be, I might be good. And then someone like him comes along who writes storyboards, directs, composes, plays instruments, um, Voice does back. voices. Uh, I mean, you're like, just beep, beep, beep off, you know, just, get, <laughs> <laughs> just, just don't stop. even look at me. Like, just, just stop being so amazing so I can shine. I mean, is that so hard? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can totally see that. I can totally see that. I think he, even in the even in our episode, he outshone outshined all of us, and it was the really this is our show. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even trying. He was You're just, Dan he was just being Meyer, Dan. So it's okay. But I, being but Dan. because of that, I can tell you, I had other directing offers on the table at the time that the opportunity came to work on Hamster and Gretel, and I, as much as I had respected and was tempted by those other offers hands down getting the opportunity to work with Dan on the show was just it was a no-brainer because I knew that it was going to be the kind of show that I would want to see everything mm -hmm. he does is fun and smart and layered in a way that's mm -hmm. really unexpected and brings out the best in my storytelling so I thought it was a nice pairing and so far kicking butt yeah that's awesome it. You know, that's one of the things I, I love about Dan's work is that, you know, when we, I originally started watching uh, Phineas and Ferb, it was because I was watching it for my kids. And, you know, next thing I know, they're not even in the room anymore. And I'm watching the show and laughing because it's so smartly written, you know, that there are jokes, I'm sure, that go right over kids' heads. But I found him hysterical and I'm laughing and the same thing happened with Milo Murphy's law. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure that the same thing again will happen with hamster and Gretel just because it's, you know, it's that same type of, of genius. And to know that you're working on it as well. And Josh is working on it. it all makes me want to, you know, pay that much more attention. How to can it. it lose? Right. right. This is like yeah. the trifecta of fun that you've had on your podcast. Exactly. <laughs> it really is. It's funny. My mother-in-law is as a general rule, not a big fan of animated anything. Um, which is hard for me, but also it's just, it's a different generation. She was not as exposed to animation as I was, but watching Phineas and Ferb with my daughter and my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law is laughing harder than the rest of us. And I'm like, I told you it was good. <laughs> like, I cannot wait for Hamster and Gretel and for her to just lose it. Like, it's going to be... I know it's gonna. I know it's gonna knock it out of the park, and I'm so excited for you guys. So, and, and clearly, we won't hold you to this. And Dan had all he could say was that he thought maybe sometime in 2022. Do you guys have any idea of when it might be coming at this point, uh, or are we let, just still saying 2022? I will let him make any official. Probably smart announcements. <laughs> Probably smart, but we know it's it's getting there. It is. We're super, super excited about Disney is super, super excited about it. It's been, I think I can say this without getting in trouble, that it's tested wonderfully with audiences and Disney Yay. is fully backing us and supporting us, which is a wonderful feeling. So That's validating awesome. for all the hard work we've been doing and we've been having so much fun with it. And it's just a great it's just a great show. I think it's a little bit different than his other shows. It's infused mm -hmm. with um with more cinematography and maybe more action sequences. And, cool. and it brings a lot of unexpected 
heart because even though it's billed as a superhero show, mm -hmm. at, it, at its essence, it is a story about the relationship between a brother and a sister. And that really is the vehicle and the lens in which we tell all the stories because it all feeds back into this relationship, which we genuinely care about as an audience, or at least you should if we've done our job right. Right. There you go. I'm, uh, I'm so excited for that show. So I've mentioned my daughter because she loves Phineas and Ferb. She How loves all she? things animated. She just turned three last oh. month. Yeah. Like it is like the best age. I love toddlers. I mean, they are a she's nightmare. A they're a nightmare, but I love them. Oh, she they is, can do no wrong when they're that little. Oh, but they can push so many buttons. <laughs> but no, I'm so excited for Hamster and Gretel with her because she actually just got a hamster. Oh. So it's going to be quite the event when Hamster and Gretel comes out and Honora starts watching Hamster and Gretel with Jelly That'll Bean. That'll be a whole thing at your house. I oh, will, it will be. I'll be listening to hear what happens. <laughs> it will be. I expect many, many things to go awry and it'll be fantastic. But my last question that I have for, for you today, Amber, is also related to my daughter because she loves to draw and color and paint and play with Play-Doh, which is one of the biggest messes in the entire world. I love it, but it's a mess. Listen, it's so, not glitter, though. It's not glitter. It's not glitter. It is not glitter. Tell yourself that, all daily. I'll, that I'll I have kept away from her so far. Take the Play-Doh win. Yeah. I mean, I, I love glitter, but I have kept the glitter away from the three-year-old so far. But we're trying to do our best to encourage her creativity while not letting her literally splatter paint on the walls because I feel like she would. She she totally would. So what advice would you give young artists, young animators to help them keep going and to try to make their break in the business? Well, yeah, it's interesting that you've posed this question to towards like the youth market. Mm -hmm. I was just part of a panel discussion at a local college here in Santa Clarita, all geared towards youth and how to break into the business and through the Zonta Club, which is a international global organization and it works to empower women through service and advocacy. So we have resources available to maybe people that are underrepresented or don't have the, the tools to help themselves in a particular area. So we kind of focus on that, but the biggest bit of advice I can give somebody that's trying to break into the business is that it is really dependent upon you and your personality, your desire and your passion for it. If you are an artist, you can't stop. There's just, I could not do something else. There was no plan B for me. There was no, I shouldn't do this. It was just, I, I have to do this. So I think assessing your personality is one thing. If you are not up for drawing for 15 hours a day, if you're not up for schedules and deadlines and turnarounds, if you don't have that kind of burning passion for it, you're probably not, it's probably going to be a hobby for you and not a career. I think knowing yourself and putting yourself in a position where you can succeed is probably the very first step. But otherwise, you have, when I was growing up, I did not have the internet or access or anything. And yeah, get off my lawn. I'm super <laughs> old. But um, 
everybody has resources now. You can go online. If you can't afford college, you can go and find a free art class online, a free storyboarding class. There are mentorship programs and internship programs. You just have to look. You have to put the effort into it. If you're drawing, what do they say? Like you say, you have to have um, 10,000 hours of something to be great at it. That's no lie. You'll have to work hard at it. And it should also be fun. You should take joy in it while you're doing it. But my biggest thing is just do it. If you're a filmmaker, you couldn't stop me from going out with my iPhone and making film. If you're an artist, you couldn't stop me from drawing and doodling on my notebooks in class. That actually makes a lot of sense. Kendall should have a phenomenal career in art then. <laughs> she doodles all the time. She's actually really good at it. She doesn't think she is, but I think she is. That girl and her notebooks, though. She's got a future ahead of her, Tim. <laughs> I think shoot her, so. Shoot her our way. You might have some connections in there. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, Amber, we've reached the point in our conversation where we like to take our guest through a little quiz. Okay. All right. It's a five-question quiz. She's All prepared for this. She's watched our show. <laughs> All questions are multiple choice. All right. Okay, so it'll help you a little bit. Okay. Now, if you get three of the questions correct, we're going to send you one of these handy-dandy I gave to the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans coffee mugs. Oh, even though I didn't? If you get three, right. Oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we're going to give you one of those. We're going to give you one of those coffee mugs, okay? Okay. If you get four of the questions right, we're going to send you the coffee mug and the book that this short little video is about. Introducing the new novel, Dances with Aliens, by Drayton Allen. Thomas, the last man on Earth, is stuck being a dog. Not a four-legged dog that goes wolf, but a singing, dancing dog of the theme park variety. The theme park, where Thomas has worked for years, is now overrun with alien kids begging him to perform dances and do tricks. But how could this have happened? Is humanity really gone? How does an intelligent race of aliens develop the technology to travel the cosmos, invade and conquer Earth, yet not recognize a guy in a dog suit? Available at DraytonAllen.com. So that's Drayton Allen. That's incentive. That is incentive. <laughs> that's right. And he is also, Drayton's the founder of our of our Facebook group, which is now over 162,000 members, I believe. That's nuts. So, Congratulations. Thank you. And also, I'd uh, just like to say that whether or not I get the mug or win or lose on this quiz, I would uh, please send me the link to donate to Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do. Uh, but if and if you like, we'll we'll even uh, talk Drayton into sending you this book. This is the book that started it all. <laughs> it's called Custodians of the Cosmos, uh, which is a uh, a book about a young man who wanted to join something like the Starship Federation um, from the you know the Trekkie people. Uh, I have to be careful how we word that. And uh, <laughs> it's Star Trek thing that you have to worry. I didn't know. Is there like uh, a wrong? Has way there been an issue now that I'm not aware of? <laughs> I, I was told that I needed to be more careful. You can how I call said the people it. Trekkie. Is that offensive now? No, oh, no, no. It, no, it was the, the, the use of, of Star Trek lingo in the book. Oh, oh, oh. Right. Um, I'm like, oh, so gosh. It's, okay. Yeah, it's it's Star Trek ish. It's not Star Trek, but it's not. So he wanted to join something like the Federation, but he washed out. And so instead, now uh, he boldly goes to clean up after those who boldly just went. Um, it's a whole thing. So anyway, uh, if, you, if you get four out of five, we'll send you both books and a coffee mug, okay? All right. All right. So, however, if you get less than three, we take a picture of you, we make a meme out of you, and we put it into our, our Facebook group. Fair Are you enough. okay with that? All right. Very good. 
All right. So It'll be the least this... embarrassing thing that happens to me this week. <laughs> Give it time. We, we're not done with the interview yet. Uh, you'd like to. Uh, <laughs> it's only. All right. So, so the quiz is it's called the year of the movie. What it's going to do is we're going to give you three movie titles. And then in the multiple choice, we're going to give you three different years. You have to tell us which year all three of those movies came out. Okay. All right. All right. Question number one. Armageddon. Deep Impact. And The Waterboy. 1998, 1997, or 1999? 1999. No. Oh, did I get it wrong? It was on my podcast. <laughs> 1998. Oh, so close. Those movies are so old now. Wow. <laughs> they feel well, now like I... they were just a few years ago. It's so sad. I can't believe I got that wrong. Hold on a second. I'm double checking. Make sure I. I, I thought it was, no, you're probably right. No, it says right here. Of course, you know, Wikipedia is infallible. I know. I could um, have. No, I should have just looked and, up really uh, quick also, on my computer. <laughs> I am, IMDb also says 1998. So, okay. So we'll use those two. It was correct on my podcast. I'll say that. Yeah, you, you <laughs> did. You did say 1998 on the podcast. So, all right. So question number two. Risky business. Superman three. Return of the Jedi. Was it 1985, 1982, or 1983? I'm going to say 82. Rule of three, rule of three, rule of three. There's three. It's the magic number. 90, 93. Yes, 1983. Good job. All right. Yay! You got one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're, we got one. Question three. Oh, so All right. Star Trek, the motion picture. All of them wrong. James Bond, Moonraker, and Alien. Is it 1997? Wow, I'm tired. 1980 or 1979? First Alien? Yeah. Yes. Okay, it had to be in the 80s then. So I guess the only one that was 1980. Like, this is the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> no. You're going the, to make a beautiful meme. the weakest. Like, you could have gone pop culture. <laughs> Years of movies, it's like my kryptonite. This is like legit kryptonite. <laughs> I, I think we found, figured that out. Yeah. Um, this is awful, which is all right. I mean, I because I love trivia, even though I'm crap at it. So I love hearing <laughs> all these answers. I just wish I was more good at it. <laughs> so those movies came out in 1979. <gasps> oh, man. <laughs> so close. All right. So we're one I'm for two. Goose egg. <laughs> all right, you got all right. Question four uh, Knight's Tale, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, oh, man. and Pearl Harbor. Did they come out in 2005, 2001, or 2003? Oh. I'm just thinking, like, I know you're usually trying to give me like 2001, but this isn't. If you have to give me the answer, is it? That was 2001. You got it. You okay. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. Like, like, we legit, like, I clean swept in the zeros there, which is cool, which is totally cool. You've got one more. We'll see if you can get this so, one right. Oh, you got, on. you, you've got crazy. two correct. You've got, you're, you're two and two. Oh, so we won't you... help you this time. Inceptions. Is the last Inception. question, what is my name? Because I think. <laughs> 
I think we would even struggle there due to our previous conversation. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, it is not. It's it's a it's a movie question. All right. All right. Question five. Inception. Grown ups. And Iron Man 1. Is it 2010, 2012, or 2009? 12? Nope. 2010. <laughs> it's all right. You will be an absolutely beautiful meme, and you are in good company in the meme world next to Dan Pavenmeyer. Dan's you know, got a meme. I think, though, I think Dan actually on his interview, if I recall, he actually legit got a couple right, whereas I there was none. These like we we may not have helped him as much. No, no, he's just like legit got a couple right. But <laughs> all right, I've got a few pictures of you. We'll uh, we'll use one of those to right. make a make a meme. And don't worry, it'll it'll be it'll be funny and 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 uh, get Josh to oh get Josh to write the meme. Done. <laughs> Uh, I'll mess. I was just talking with Josh the other day, so that won't be a problem. So I will. Uh, we're we're working on getting him back on one of the shows to have a, a Doctor Who episode oh, that's with him super because cool. he's a uh, he's a big Doctor Whovian. I did not know so, that about Josh. Yeah, huge, huge Doctor Who fan. That's why his that's why his Twitter handle is, is Zombie Tardis. No, yeah, that makes sense. I don't. I'm not on Twitter. Ah, we'll see. There you go. All right. All right. So, Amber, thank you so much for being on our show with us today. I know that it's been painful, but you did it. You survived. So where can our listeners go to find more about you and what you're doing now? I, I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, and you can find me on IMDb. You just want to do like a good... Again, people, we have resources. You have a Google, you just Google my name, um, <laughs> and you'll probably get a whole bunch of BS coming up. It's gonna be it's gonna be my podcast film fight, which uh, the master mother platform is Podbean, but you can find it where all you where you enjoy all your favorite podcasts. And uh, Housebroken season one just wrapped up, but I'm sure you'll be seeing some reruns on Fox. Mm -hmm. First season of Stillwater episodes are still being released, so we just released a new set maybe last month, just a couple weeks ago. So all new episodes out there, such a beautiful, lovely property that the three people that have Apple TV are digging so much, <laughs> loving it. So, but uh, it is a beautiful, lovely property full of mindfulness and Zen, slower, not your normal, not what I'm doing now, which is fast and fun and furious. And what else do I have going on? Um, check out the Zonta International Organization. It's just a great, another another place if you like to get involved in community service that can benefit all cities and maybe even help somebody that you know. Awesome. We will definitely link all of those in the description. And I think, honestly, we should just start adding the, just Google them. Just Google them. Yeah, like how hard is it? You guys have a computer? No? Right? No? Go to the library and get a computer. I don't know. You know, just use that. Where but... can you find our guest? Google. <laughs> <laughs> but we will definitely make sure that we link those for those who are less. Who just want the, the who just want <laughs> the oh, oh my goodness, no, that and there's actually something else. Um oh. October 16th, 
High Guardian Spice, anime-inspired series that I directed on first season is dropping on Crunchyroll, original series. Awesome. So same, uh, same platform that did Onyx. Oh, okay, cool. So, cool. so that's yep. dropping, that's coming out. So this might be the first time ever I will have three different series that I've directed airing at the same time or overlapping in some way, which is really cool and exciting. There's a lot going on. And then, of All course, right. Hamster and Gretel coming your way super soon. Super soon. We like super soon. All right. So I want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Amber Hollinger here to have these great conversations with and phony moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It's going to help more than you know. And be sure to check out Amber's work as well. Uh, you're really going to enjoy Why are you laughing? Because my brain heard phony, not funny. And that just made it make more sense on some level. I may have said funny wrong. Yeah. I don't know. A possibility. You may have said it wrong. I may have just heard it wrong. Who knows? At this Who point, knows? All and if you're, not, if you're not happy with the content of our show, all you have to do is contact the head of our complaint department, Honey from the animated series Housebroken. She and the rest of her furry friends take this job very seriously. Well, right after they handles each other's mental stability issues and they're done being emotional support animals for each other. But right after that, Honey will see to it that the person or persons responsible for the lack of maximum effort will get a good licking. You know, and we mean an actual licking because they're mostly dogs and cats, and I'm sure they've been trained not to bite. So their options are limited for them. So give them time. It'll get handled. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. All right, guys. I'm like waving goodbye. Like, no, goodbye. Because there, oh. there are people watching us. It's okay. Good night, folks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our show. Bye, guys. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 14. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and chooses to fight alongside the warriors of Onyx Equinox, only to get run through with swords, he'll know that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and the rest of his communicator. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. Information about Level Up Lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. 